0: Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin
1: Elder. Hey guys, today on the show, we have Lance Peterson. He's the managing partner of Verivest. They're a platform that connects sp- vetted sponsors with passive investors, and offer some back office services and some other things that we get into. Uh, Lance is a very sharp guy. He sold his IT company in his mid twenties and got into commercial real estate and has been doing that for a long time. And he's talked to a lot of sponsors in a lot of asset classes all around the country. So I enjoy talking to him about his experiences and what he's learned there and about fund structures versus one-off syndications um, and some tips for passive investors. And sponsors. I think you're going to enjoy the episode. Before we dive in real quick, if you want to see future upcoming DJE investment projects and you're not currently in our portal, you can go to djetexas.com and set up a quick call to get to know us and our team. We can answer any questions for you. That way you're prepared when that next project comes out. You're already set up and ready to go. You can go to djetexas.com and schedule a quick call. Secondly, if you want to go out and buy and operate these projects, you want to go run these projects and and make this uh, your vocation and go bigger and do big deals, you can check out apartmenteducators.com. We've got a great free video series there that's going to help you along your way towards being an operator of these projects not just a passive investor. So, go check out apartmenteducators.com for a free video series that uh, we put together there for you. Okay, let's jump into the episode with Mr. Lance Peterson. Lance, welcome. How are you? Good, man. How are you doing, Devin? Oh, doing great. Doing great. It's a beautiful spring day in, in Texas here, so can't complain. Very good. Same up here in Portland. So, we've, we've hit our We've got 70, high 70s, 80 degree weather. So no complaints up here. Love it. Love it. That's perfect. Well, thanks for jumping on. We're going to talk a bit today about uh, about Verivest, your company, about deal structure, um, putting projects together, vetting sponsors, lots of different things we'll dive into. But just to kind of kick it off, I would love to have you share with our listeners your your background number one and then how did your uh, how did you migrate into real estate was it something you you always did how did you end up in this, yeah. in this space
0: yeah you know so I I started my first company it was an IT services company when I was 20 years old um, and uh, I always been an entrepreneur and, and I built that business up to you know, about five million in revenue and sold it to uh, my partners when I was 27 but one of the organization I was involved in and you might be familiar with it devin is entrepreneurs organization eO right um, so I got in on that you know really early and my mentor was was a member and um, he was also a, a client of mine at the IT company but I ended up in my EO forum group was this guy named Matt Burke so Matt Burke was a hard money lender, commercial hard money lender and forum member. So when I sold my business, you know, Matt sort of recruited me to come over and work with him. And so Matt had um, had two, you know, debt funds that they were raising capital into to fund their deal flow. I knew really, I didn't know much about real estate. It just so happened in my EO form. I had a home builder, I had a developer, a commercial developer, and then I had Matt, the the, the home builder. So I ended up sort of figuring out kind of how all this stuff worked and that's probably one of the reasons why I decided to get out of IT is I realized that you know I wasn't as passionate about IT as, as maybe uh, my partners and many of our employees were and I was more sort of heady and intellectual and you know finance and those sorts of things were more interesting so I came on board there and really not knowing much at all and and uh, really got in the fund management side of it so that was sort of my role is all the back office stuff and just you know trying to help grow and scale the business and then you know we got this senior credit facility from Wells Fargo a week before Lehman Brothers went down oh wow and uh, you know and as you we all know what happened after that you know 2008 to 2011 was pretty messy right and so we just hung on for dear life the portfolio performed unfortunately the Wells Fargo pulled the plug and they didn't renew the line in 2011. And so, and at that point, the, those sorts, the specialty finance market was really basically dried up I and mean, we couldn't find anyone to refinance. And so at that point it was like, we had to just, we basically had to wind the fund down and sell, you know, what were great assets. It's just sort of, so we realized quickly that the capital structure matters, right? So even though you've got great assets underneath, you know, in a portfolio, if you get the capitalization, I think you and I talked about this on our podcast, like if, if you don't get the, how you build the cap stack, whether it's a single asset deal, portfolio deals, lender loans, whatever, it can kill you. Right. And so we'd experienced that and, and, you know, live to tell the story. So at that same time, as all the distress was starting to surface and people were buying, you know, they could buy all these homes and off auctions and, we had a bunch of people just showing up and saying, Hey, you guys have run funds. I think I need to start a fund. I need to raise capital into a fund. Can you help me out? And after about, you know, the fifth time to someone, you know, it's funny because like you you see a pattern. while well, people asking for something, you know, like, hey, maybe there's a there there. We realized that we could advise and consult them and help them sort of structure these funds and and do that. And we partnered with our securities counselor and and we basically created a turnkey sort of you know, go from not having a fund to launching a fund and advising and consulting around that. At the same time, we realized like, hey, why don't we just sort of be more of, you know, capital allocators, right? And decided to um, turn up our own funds that could allocate capital into, uh, you know, other funds, syndications, you know, really have a much broader mandate. And then pair that with this advisory practice where we were helping guys sort of, once again, create a more efficient, you know, capital structure um and uh we did that and that was in 2012. And since that time we've you know, I've worked with I think it's over 180 different real estate entrepreneurs around the country just on the advisory side of of helping them figure out how to make the leap from syndicating deal by deal, you know, into you know more of a blind pool structure, you know, whatever they're trying to to accomplish. So, you know, that was kind of it's always been on the capital side, but that's how I got into real estate. And then of course we with our discretionary funds you know, you end up learning all these different property types, right? And how to underwrite them. And I've never really been on the investment committee per se, but just getting comfortable with, you know, we've got industrial, we've got, we've done hospitality, we've done retail, we've done, you know, multifamily, obviously, and single family and debt funds. And, you know, when you're, you've got to learn it and you're teaching it all day long and your clients are teaching you how they do what they do. And so that's really how I've come about, you know, got into the business.
1: Yeah, that's great. I imagine you've got, um, a lot of education happening for you over the years by talking to different sponsors, right? I remember that happened to me early on, kind of learn one way and then talk to a different sponsor and see, wow, they're they're really structuring this differently. There's pros and cons. And I feel like the more um, variety you have access to there, you can kind of pick and choose the pieces you like best. And you working with that many sponsors over the years, um, it's just kind of no substitute in terms of understanding the space for no substitute for having that kind of exposure to that many different operators.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, I've had a, it's been a great opportunity that I've had. I mean, you know, the ability to be, you know, a a fund manager ourselves. So it's like, you know, we wake up every day and we were doing it. I mean, I don't do it anymore. Um, you know, directly, I'm more of just on the the service provider side with Verivest, but um, you know, so you, you you live it, you walk it, you teach it, you coach it. You're trying to help people. You see all these different things of what works, what doesn't work. You know what the market wants. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting, uh, yeah, perspective. And so, uh, but yeah, I mean, the big thing for me is just like anything. You, you if you're teaching it all day long, you end up you become really good at it, and um, I tell people all the time, it's like, I'm not very good at many things, um, you know, but like this is my thing. In fact, I'm really bad at lots of things, but, you know, learning and, 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 uh, you know, teaching and talking about these things and helping people through this is sort of the part I really enjoy about it being consultative and how do you help people grow and scale their businesses. And, and that really has been our North Star when Matt and I decided to sort of pivot the business. That was really what we decided to do is we just said, well, you know what? Raising money is hard it was hard for us and it's hard for everyone to ever talk to. And, and we just felt like there's a lot of really good worthy people out there that are good stewards of money. And so we said, Hey, if we can do our part to help create a flood of capital to worthy, you know, real estate entrepreneurs, whether that's from us raising it, you know, for ourselves and allocating to them or helping them be discovered by other people. And this was all the way back in, like I said, at the end of 2011, early 2012, And that's really been what's guided us since then to where we now have, you know, what amounts to, you know, two distinct businesses, Fairway America, um, you know, that's really a a private equity real estate shop. And then Verivest, which, you know, really was the accidental business where we, we realized quickly that one of the things that was sort of most real estate guys are very good at was that middle and back office stuff. And so if we're going to help them structure their funds and invest in them, we learned fast that we probably have to like do that stuff for them or it won't get done right on time when we need it. Uh, And so we ended up, you know, offering that as a service to our, to our clients. Um, And then eventually we spun that business off in 2017 and we've really run with that now where we've got a partnership tax practice and, you know, fund administration practice, syndication administration, a proprietary investor management platform, sponsor directory, you know, sponsor due diligence as a service, you know, we really have kind of end to end all with the intent to sort of make it as turnkey and frictionless as possible for, you know, for real estate entrepreneurs. So
1: I love it. Yeah. Thanks for the overview. There is so much that goes into um, the back office piece, especially as it, as it grows, that is maybe, you know, not a core competency or not fun for an entrepreneurial sponsor who likes to go chase and take down deals. And maybe he's really good at operations but you start growing the investor base and the, the back office becomes this whole other um, really critical piece that's, I think, easy, to, easy for people to overlook. When you guys were putting together the, the um, debt funds kind of in that 2008-2011 timeframe, was the intent um, that people wanted to spin up distressed debt funds to where, you know, there's kind of blood in the streets. They're going to go take advantage of this. And did that, if, if so, did that come to fruition or what was the, what was the outcome for a lot of these new funds that you guys were, were helping spur?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it did. Yeah. I think, I think the, the biggest thing we saw was obviously just the, the proliferation of sort of private money lending, right? So more of those guys ended up being the lenders to the borrowers, you know, with that were acquiring that, you know, which is sort of you know, super commonplace now, but not not so much then. I mean, it is, it's now, I mean, the bank's backed off, but yeah, definitely helping guys turn up, you know, uh, distressed note funds where they're going to the bank and, you know, buying them from out of special servicing and and then basically, you know, working them out and, you know, saw a lot of that stuff. And, and that, you know, and I think that when you do go into that is that, I mean, when the market is sort of on the upswing, you know, acquiring directly from the owners is sort of, you know, what I think most of us know. But when when the market goes down like that, and you have that something like that occur, sometimes that's the best way to get access to the asset. Sometimes is to basically buy the, you know, senior debt and basically work them out, foreclose them to get access to the asset. So, you know, we, we certainly saw lots of people do that and and help some of those guys structure vehicles to to make that happen. Um, you know, we haven't seen as much of it. Lately, but you know, like a couple people, like like in the New York cities, are great examples that just you know that that whole market was just overheated and and you know just a different animal. So you know, seeing more kind of distressed note funds that are centered on taking advantage of those opportunities in the Northeast, and
1: uh, but, but yeah. yeah, I was going to ask if you'd seen as much. I think people were preparing for that, maybe in uh, when COVID first hit early mid 2020 thought there was going to be kind of a flood of distressed assets from my perspective that hasn't really been the case but i'm not as nationally focused as as you guys are what's what have, other than what you just mentioned in the northeast has there been a lot of that kind of as a result of covid no yeah no so no it,
0: it, it hasn't come to fruition and you know it it sure is seeming like it probably isn't right, right. um I mean, even, yeah, it, just, it doesn't seem like it's going to be the, the boom that people thought it was, or even, I mean, to be honest, even that what I I thought it was, I mean, I figured that I figured that it would happen. And, um, but of course it's, it sort of shows you and it's debatable, but I mean, you do see the impacts and the effects of what the stimulus did. Um, right. I think that none of us could have predicted it It just back in March, April, June, it it, it just would have been hard to imagine that yeah, that, that we that that we would the stimulus like it's just it's it's kind of mind boggling.
1: It's mind boggling. Right? It's yeah. mind
0: boggling. And so clearly, it it did do what they hoped it would do, at least to, to stave off short term you know major short term issues. Obviously, it it you know it's going to have some impact um, no one way or another. So it's just I think that that's more, of, and I think that that's more of what we're going to see. And maybe some people thought it's like not really sure how this is going to impact, but there will be impact at some point in time, uh, and we might not see it for, you know, two, three years, but things will happen. And obviously some of these, these hotels are the things that were, you saw a lot of people running in and just sort of working with ownership and, you know, kind of recapitalizing deals to, to, you know, to, to, to stave off sort of, you know, keep the banks happy or whatever the case may be. So I think there was some of that activity, but not as much as people thought there
1: would be. Yeah, that's right. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's trillions upon trillions of dollars of liquidity flooding in, um, in a very short space of time. So that that'll be interesting to watch that unfold over the next couple of years. On the fund um, side, let's talk about that a little bit. What have you seen operators do? You know, in terms of why would why and when would they go from a Deal by deal syndication to a fund structure, and then what are the LPs like about one or the other? The the, the passive investors, uh, what's what's kind of their temperature on the, the fund versus one off um, uh, approach? Yeah, I mean, I, starting with the the second question, then we'll
0: mark wake away the first. I mean, I I think that LPs. Generally speaking, prefer to pick and choose the deals they invest in. Right now, there's right. Certain, obviously depending upon the underlying strategy. Um, some strategies just it just a fund makes more sense. As example, debt funds. It's you know sure. two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar loans or whatever. That just makes more sense. Um, you know, and I think even some of these more micro type deals where your acquisition sizes are in the Two, three, four, $5 million dollar range, maybe like mobile home parks or some self-storage stuff. Funds might make more sense to, to kind of make that leap sooner rather than later. But yeah, I think it is. It's just, I tell people this all the time because everyone calls me saying, hey, Lance, I want to start a fund. And then I'm like, of course you do. Everyone thinks they want to start a fund. I don't know if you really understand what you're getting into. So, right. Um, but, but yeah, it's definitely harder. And I think LP's it, and for all the obvious reasons they're abdicating decision making uh, to to someone else. So the bar is much higher um, and they don't know what they're investing in. It's a often a blind pool fund, maybe one asset's been identified or whatever. So it's harder. Now, the trend that I see and that, you know, I, I think what, what I'm seeing more and more of, right, is what I call, you know, GP co-invest funds for you know people with you know multifamily operators or commercial real estate um, guys that are you know doing more than four or five deals a year, you know, their pipeline's robust enough where they can can do four, five, six deals. I'm encouraging them to tilt up if if they've been syndicating deal by deal or doing, you know, sort of GP, LP, you know, 90 10 JV deals with you know funds sort of I feel like the next progression on your way to to doing a full blown like LP fund that takes down all the equity in all your deals. It's it's hard to skip straight to that from single sure. syndication. So, but tilting up a GP co invest fund that will at least invest, you know, like ten percent of the equity in in each deal, and then you can either syndicate that deal or you could do a a JV deal with a another private equity fund or family office or whatever. And then at least now you're bringing in a co-investment of 10%. And then the other benefit of the GP co-invest fund is that you can, you know, put in the mandate that it can, you can use the capital in the fund um, for pursuit costs. So, you know, know, um, I think it just makes it easier than balance sheet management for the operator. And then it allows them to, you know, at least, I I just think it it gives you more flexibility. It gets you... um, you know, a little bit more certainty of of deals because you could even take down a deal with, you know, more equity and then backfill. We see guys doing that, right? right? They can basically go out, use the fund equity, take it down, backfill some, you know, with other, you know, JV partners in the deal. So it just gives you lots of flexibility. And then you're actually building kind of a fun track record because the hardest thing about it is you syndicate too long. Everyone gets used to, I just want to pick and choose my deals. Right. And then all of a sudden you go to launch fund one and then they say, well, you've never managed a fund before. So, you know, like you've never done a fund before. So why would I invest in this? Whereas this way it's a bit of I call it training wheels. You can do that. You go to your investors and say, you know, you sweeten the pot a bit for your for your existing LPs and investor base and say, Well, listen, if I earn a promote off of the underlying asset, I'll kick back five percent of the promote I earn off the other LPs. Right. And so you have a waterfall structure at the GP co invest fund level. Um, you know, that's, that meets sort of the standard structure that you might've been using some pref with some split above that. And, and then you kick in, you know, a little bit of the juice that you're getting off of the LPs to compensate them for the risk and the pursuit costs or whatever. But, but those are the things I think one can do just to, once again, in the spirit of, of more efficiently capitalizing your deal flow, because it is hard to just syndicate, especially the more and more deals you do. I mean, that's like, Every time you're doing a deal, passing the hat. And you I mean, we, you know, on the fairway side, I mean, I think one year we did, we had the funds and we did, we're doing single asset syndications. We did like 12 syndications, man. Like the team was just freaking wiped out. They were just yeah. exhausted. It's a ton yeah. of work.
1: It's inten- It's an intense, it's an intense month
0: of, of, of getting through it. Yeah. So not for everybody. Once again, I just, I feel like it's, you, you, you don't just, start a fund to say you started a fund or be the fund manager. Right. And you right. don't start a fund because it means that there'll just be money sitting there for you to invest. That's not how it works. Um, and, and it just, and that's usually what the conversation is. I want to start a fund. So I have money so that I can do deals and I can, you know, not losing out on these bids. Cause I'm a cash buyer. I'm like, no, no, that's not how it works. So
1: um, yeah, you got to get that out of your mind. Right. Right. How are sponsors mapping the, the funds to the deal flow. I mean, to, if you're going to start a fund, you've got to have be be pretty bullish about your ability to um, keep keep a pipeline of deals that you actually like, which is which is tricky. How are sponsors? Um, I guess is there a is there a standard approach for we're going to raise X amount for the fund, and then you're you're kind of um, got a clock ticking right on some sort of a pref payout or something. If you're sitting all those capital before you actually execute on a deal or, or are sponsors telling investors, Hey, we're going to start, we're going to start paying on this when we close a deal or cause that's, that's an interesting thing to try to map your capital to an actual deal uh, in, in a fund structure. How are sponsors accommodating that? Yeah. I mean, I think
0: that's the issue, right? Is that, that you know, the pitch to the LPs goes, you know, okay, it's a 50 or a hundred thousand dollar minimum. You make the commitment, okay, a hundred thousand committed to the fund, but now they've got, you know, now it's gonna be called in at some point in the future, right, during the, the, uh, the investment period. So right. that's a bit of the issue is that it's not ticking, right, there is no prep ticking until the co- capital's called in, but right. you as the LP don't know when the capital is gonna be called in per se. Right. Now, the way that it works, it's kind of, more, it always ends up working on more of a just-in-time sort of deal, right? right where you need you need $5 million in equity for that first deal. You go out, you get $5 million in commitments. You call it all in to do the first deal, right? And then you're out there and you get the next batch of commitments. So that's how it works usually in, in you know, pra- practically speaking. Sure, but sure. yeah, I mean, from investor standpoint you know, they're kind of like, okay, great. Well, when, when's the first deal? And then the answer like, uh, don't really know. And that's why I go back to if, if your pipeline isn't somewhat robust, meaning that if you're not going to be able, if you don't feel good about your chances of, of getting a deal in the door in the next six, eight, nine, you know, 12 months, like it's, then it just sort of demonstrates that maybe the fund isn't the right thing. You got to know that you've got all the things that you're doing are going to lead to eventually a deal landing in your lap that you want to fund right? Sometime in the next three or four months. Um, so, you know, that it, it does work out. It's just, it's the whole thing of it's harder to get people to say yes to that. Um, and, and that's why I say it's, it's a little bit easier. Cause when you think about it, if let's say you had a pretty robust pipeline and you could do five deals a year um, and their average equity check is 8 million bucks, you know, then the GPs, th- this fund's portion of it will be 800 grand or whatever. Right. So I mean, we're talking about $5 million funds or something that would be, you know, decent size. So it's a great, that's, I mean, the the good news, is it's a great way. I mean, can you go get commitments for 5 million bucks from investors? Some guys who've been at it, yeah,
1: that's not that big of a deal. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because from an LP's perspective, once I wire the funds, it's effectively tied up. It's not earning a pref and there's an indeterminate period there where it's before it gets deployed. But, um, Oh, to clarify, yeah. I mean, it's, When they wire the funds, once if if
0: and when they do wire, the pref starts that day. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, but the issue is more of the fact that I don't know when you're going to ask me for the money, so it's sitting in my bank account earning zero and going backwards. Right. Right. And so, and then one day, so I I have to have it there because I don't want to default on the capital call. Right. right? When you call it in. And so that's a bit of the issue. Now, I, I think that it's a bit overblown because I think from an investor's perspective, that's just how it goes. I mean, even if you've got your, your favorite syndicator, like, you know, DJE, you know, and they're waiting for you to find a deal, right? It's sort of the same thing is that if they go and invest the money, then they don't have the money to invest in your next deal. So that's it's, right. Like, I playing this game of like, who's got something available, um, you know, t- today. And it's just like, yeah, I know cash depends upon how you look at things, you know, but cash isn't your friend. Cash, especially these days, it doesn't earn anything. And right. inflation is, you know, much greater than, than, than that. So, but at the end of the day, if you want to be in the game, you have to have some amount of cash sitting around to, yep. to, to invest. So.
1: Yep. Always a balancing act. Always a yep. balancing act. Well, let's, I want to talk a little bit about VeraVest. Maybe you could kind of give the audience an overview of, of the genesis of that and, and what it is and what you guys are doing today with that platform.
0: Yeah. I mean, back in, in we, we rebranded, we were, used to be called Redwood Real Estate Administration. So we rebranded to Verivest last July. And, and the impetus for that was w- what happened similar to sort of back in the days that I kept, it was a different group this time. I get, I had a bunch of LPs and investors calling me and saying, I'm invested with X and Y and Z and they're clients of yours. And I like those guys. And I'm assuming that you have other clients that that I would like to invest with, but I don't know who they are. Could you send me your client list? So I'm like, that's an odd request. I'm like, I'm i not sure I'm going to send you my client list, but what are you looking for? Right. And they'd say, I'm looking for multifamily guys who do this or that funds that look like that. And so this happened, you know, two or three times and then it happened another two or three times. I'm like, what is going on here? And then I started digging <laughs> right. it in more and I'm like, I'm like, what are you trying to do? They're like, well, listen, I've been at this long enough to know that, yeah, there's real estate crowdfunding sites. They're fine. But I've realized that the real juice is figuring out these guys who are active that don't use the real estate crowdfunding websites, right? That I don't know about. But figuring out who they are is hard, you know, right. to track them down. So that's what I'm looking for. And then I'm like, well, oh, that's interesting. They're like, Lance, there's no place. And I'd heard this before from other investors. They're like, There's no place to go to figure out who does deals, right in this sort of middle market space. It'd be great if that existed. So I figured you've got a big robust list of clients. So, you know, that'd be a good source. So then I started asking more questions and said, well, well, if you can wave a magic wand, what else would you have? And they're like, well, you know what, for me, the due diligence thing is a bit terrifying. Even if I do find them, you know, I'd love to run background checks on these guys, but it's sort of an odd request. You know, it's just, it's just, it's it's weird, and then like the other thing that drives me nuts is that they all say they've done all these things, and I have no way of verifying. I have no way of validating whether or not these track records are purporting to have done are real. Sure, and that's terrifying. And then oh by the way, the reason I like your guys as clients because you guys are administering these things, and that gives me peace of mind knowing that all the money is going where it should go. So they're like secretly, when when a when an investment I've made is is always paying like a shot and doing its thing, I'm basically even though it's working. I'm just terrified of investing invested in a Ponzi scheme. And I heard the Ponzi scheme thing over and over and over again. I'm like, oh my gosh. We, we can solve all those problems from where we sit. I mean, the last piece, we already do it. The oversight monitoring of investments, vehicles to make sure that they're adhering to the operating agreement and the terms, that's already what we do. Right. I'm like, we can run background checks on behalf of, of sponsors. They can pay us, we'll run the background check. And then, you know, we can verify track records because, you know, we have the tools and the databases and the wherewithal and the accounting and all this stuff to do those things as well. So let's just offer it as a service, but let's make it public and let's give, then let's give the validation to the sponsor. So for those sponsors who are willing to undergo background checks and have the track record validated and be monitored, right? Like let's give them something to go out and toot their horn about. Let's help them be found and let's help them you know, give them a badge and go out and market it. And so that was sort of, and then the benefit was that we had a bunch of clients already in the database where I'm saying, they're looking for you. They don't know to find you, so you should participate. They're like, we're all in. We'll run background checks and you can verify our track record and let's throw them up there. And we did that. And uh, so that's the big piece of it. And So for us, our business model now is we've structured as a membership program and it's dirt cheap, right? To be a member, if you pass the background checks, which are $208 per principal, it's 65 bucks a month. Um, and then, you know, you list on the site and you can be discovered. And then for us, you know, hopefully you get new investors and they invest with you, but then we've got all of our back office stuff, the investor management platform, onboarding investors, the tax. So it's sort of one leads to the other where we then like, hey, if I help you find new investors, then you know we then, you know, we've got all these other services to help you.
1: Yeah, you know, all the pain, all the sponsor pain points, and you've got kind of a product waiting in the wings for a lot of it, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. And so it's, I think it works for, it works all around, right? I think we help them solve their problems of being, you know, validating them and, and helping them be discovered and get new leads. And, and uh, so far, so good. So it's been really, the investors love it. The sponsors, it's, you know, it's, it's different. I mean, it's asking a lot, right? There's a, there's public accountability. There is it's it's transparency at levels that they haven't done before. Sure, um, you know there's certain guys who hear it and they go like, "You sign me up right now." I can't believe this exists. There's other guys who you know argue with me endlessly as to why it's a dumb idea, and I just say, I don't care. Like I don't care if you like my idea. Like you know, yeah. take like, it, I leave it. Yeah. Every yeah. investor I talk to thinks it's awesome, and so at the end of the day, if that's what they want, then let's give them what they want. And if you sure. want to participate, it, it, it doesn't bother me. Like I'm not here to argue about it, right? So.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of investors, and a lot of sponsors to work with. If it's not a fit for any of them. That's great. Right. Move along. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, man, oh.
0: it's just, you know, and you're probably the guys, the same guys who are arguing about it, are the guys who are hiding things and, you know, sure. don't want those things to be discovered. So I'm like, it's, it's clearly working.
1: Yeah. It's interesting in this, you know, hyper-connected world we live in technology and everything that it's, it's still kind of, a uh, you got to know a guy business in a lot of ways, right? I mean, if I if I look at all the sponsors that I invest with as an LP, it's like it's like guys I know really well, and that you know that's just kind of how I've evolved as a as a passive investor, um, and so. And now I've, I've been living and breathing real estate for years and years. So it's a little, it's easier for me to plug into that because I'm always going to conferences or networking, whatever, but for just a pure LP, you know, you're a dentist or something and you got a day job. It's tough to plug in and, and find, um, and find a network of sponsors that you, cause you want to diversify as a passive investor. You don't necessarily want to be on, on all your cap deployable capital with one sponsor. Maybe, maybe, that is a fit for some people, but you want to kind of spread it around. A lot of LPs do. And that's tough to, that's a lot of hoops to jump through a lot of trust for just a, I would say like a, you know, a part-time LP that wants to just place some capital. Cause they've got a, a full-time day job or something.
0: Yeah. You, you nailed it. Right. Like then that's what it is. And that's what I tell all the investors, because what they, many of them want to believe that what I'm saying is that this is like, this is real estate crowdfunding that they'll go to the site. Now we have plenty of guys who have five or six C opportunities, like the fun guys, sure. you know, they've got lists. So yes, you can find stuff to invest in today. That's great. And we make that, you know, accessible and allow them to, to share those opportunities. But every investor I talk to, I let them know, I say, this isn't like armchair, you know, investing. You, you don't have to talk to anybody. I'm like, <clears throat> what I'm hoping you do is that you go and you find someone on our site that fits what you're looking for. You're looking for value add multifamily guys and you're bullish on San Antonio, then I want you to bump into to, to DJE and I want you to hit play and watch the video or whatever. And then I want you to click connect and say, hey, Devin, I'm so-and-so, I, nice to meet you, right? Because that's the relationship. So I'm not trying to right. remove that. I'm, I'm actually trying to, I'm telling them you have to do that. If they don't know you exist, which many of these LPs, they like to remain anonymous forever. Like I had a guy call me the other day and he's telling me all the stuff about one of the members on the thing. I'm like, wow. I'm like, so have you talked to her, you know her about that? And he's like, no, I haven't, I haven't actually met her yet. I'm like, how in the world did you have all that information? We don't have all that on there, right? And he's like, well, I dug around and I talked to so-and-so and and I triangulated this and that. I'm like, dude, how about you do this? How do you pick up the phone and you call her?
1: Whoa. Right? Whoa, my
0: gosh. Okay, yeah, great idea. I'm like, because you're asking me stuff that you should be asking her. And I I can appreciate you're trying to do your homework, but right, like, so I think that I'm encouraging to say, there's deals that exist. Like you said, it's like, it's a who you know thing that never see the light of day. And if they don't know you're there, you'll never have an opportunity to get into them. So this is, you know, I know we're in COVID and we're all over the country now and the world is flat and all that, but it's a relationship thing. Like you've got to meet people, you've got to get comfortable with them. We're taking some of the things off the table. Like they're not crooks and, you know, someone's watching where all the money's going and they're not lying about their track record, but ultimately, you know, you got to figure out, do you like these people? Like, is it a good fit? Do you like how they do what they do? And, and it's different for everybody. So uh, yeah, it's, it's all about the relationships.
1: Yeah. Still that piece doesn't go away. It's just, you've, you've made some of the matchmaking and discovery a lot more efficient, which cuts cuts out a lot of cycles for everybody. Yeah. So yeah. we're, you know, we're talking kind of, you know, mid 2021 uh, right now, looking back in the last year of, of just, a wild year for everybody. What do you see looking forward in terms of um, in terms of asset classes and just kind of economic outlook for the next year plus? What you know, you guys see a lot of operators and a lot of markets. What's mm-hmm. um, what's your outlook? Yeah, I mean,
0: I think the big thing that I see just from talking with people is just it's it's that we are and have become a nation of renters and ownership as we knew it, which used to be something that was revered, like owning your own, I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm only, I'm not, I'm stating the obvious at this point, right? But owning cars or owning boats or owning owning anything, owning homes, all that is sort of becoming a thing that people are like, eh, not as interested in just owning assets that don't, once again, that don't work for you.
1: You're right. better off,
0: right? So you're seeing that with build to rent in, in popularity and just, right. I mean, all of these things are just saying and then the people wanting to be more more mobile and, you know, and and go where they want to go when they want to go there and all that sort of stuff. So I feel like that independent of, you know, the impact of, of appreciation and construction costs. I mean, I guess that's part of it too, right. It's just, it's, that's not going away. Right. So multifamily and even the notion of self-storage, you know, which is where you keep your stuff when you're going to and fro and, and all those sorts of things are going to vacation rentals and all that stuff is going to continue just to take hold and become part of how things work. Right. It's, and it's not fully baked yet. I mean, it's just even more so. So I think that that's the biggest thing that I see, um, you know, happening. And obviously, all the other stuff has already happened, just the changing of how retail works and all that kind of stuff. But um, that's the big thing I see is just people multifamily and the rentals and self storage. And um, so, yeah. And then of course all this migration to these new, what were secondary markets is is fascinating too, right? Like just seeing the people moving out of places like California and in the Northeast and, and migrating to places like Tennessee and, you know Austin and San Antonio you know, Austin and San Antonio are going to be this metropolis in the it's, future right when It's turning into
1: it yeah we've been saying it for years and you're really starting to see it now it's, it's pretty wild Yeah
0: cuz like we've got two projects in new Braunfels, which are Oh my
1: gosh con- yeah.
0: converting uh you know converting hotels like those uh extended stays or whatever into multi multi-family right like at this housing crunch and It's fascinating, man. It's just, it's really, it's really, really interesting. I think we're going to look at this over the next year and say, this is like the great, I don't know what we're going to call it, but it's just, it's, everyone's sort of reshuffled the deck, right? It's moving all over the place and like going from here to there and the great reshuffle. I don't know what we're going to call it,
1: but yeah, sure. Florida, Texas, uh, Nashville. I mean, you're seeing you're seeing incredible migration across all those. Uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. We'll always have headwinds and tailwinds. You know, I think, uh, the becoming a nation of renters is, is good for us in the, in the business. Um, interest rates seem to be a tailwind at the moment. We'll see what that does in the future. And then we'll see what inflation does in the future, dumping whatever it was $5 trillion into the the money supply here is going to be interesting. And then construction costs. I mean, um, we're, we're doing some feasibility on some new construction now. And I've got a lot of friends that are builders and the, you know, lumber, uh, looks like a Bitcoin chart. I mean, it's like, uh, it's incredible. So, you know, is that going to calm down? We don't know, but that's going to change the, the dynamics of uh, new supply coming online. Right. So,
0: well, in the, in the types of, of materials that are used, I mean, you're seeing more and more right. of this modular, I've got, you know, a, a, one of our clients up in Dallas and he's, he's got a whole facility where he's doing that, you know, that steel fabrication where they can just fabricate. I mean, multifamily, like literally just wow. up walls, put it on trucks, put it out. And, you know, and, and I mean that sort of stuff, the feasibility of that now, vis-a-vis using, you know, stick built lumber and yeah,
1: it's just, Yeah. It, it might accelerate all that stuff. Just the, the, the way lumber prices have gone. It's just, Astronomical. I mean, you're seeing like three, four, five x of the cost over a year ago. It was just like uh mind-boggling. So yeah, it is. And we were already, and that's just it. Like the and so
0: the home builders, you know, when that happens, they 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 don't forget what happened, you know, 2008. So they're all like, right. if they're right. nervous, you know, like eh, we're not build. The costs are too high. You know, not not feeling good about it. So <laughs> you got even the shortage that already existed is even more so. That's right. Cause the prices to go up of existing homes and inventory. And, um, but yeah, like you said, it's just, there's ups and downs and that's, you know, we talk about all the time. It's like all of it, we're all investors, whether you're active like you Devin or, you know, you're passive, whatever. I mean, we, we all have to view ourselves as investors and we need to pay attention to these trends and these things that occur, right? Because it just, and then where we allocate our capital ourselves you know in our portfolio we need to pay attention to these as these things as change occurs and it's happening more rapidly and you know be open-minded to these things because you know like dog coin or you know or (laughs) bitcoin or whatever i mean like it it just i I get it like don't invest in things you don't understand but fundamentally like some of these things you've got to spend some time educating yourself about what are these what are these things and and um and uh, we see more. We're seeing more and more of that as well, which is good. Just seeing people take take their own finances and their their financial futures more seriously, and realizing sure. that, that they can't just abdicate that to some wealth manager. Like it, it, it just that's just not a great idea. I'm not saying that they're bad at what they do, but I'm just saying that abdicating entirely and not educating yourself about those things seems to be a bit short-sighted.
1: Yeah, I love that sentiment. I love it. I and I I totally agree. You got to take it in your own hands and and educate yourself. Um, this has been a great uh, o- overview of, of what you're up to and the, and the journey. And I appreciate sharing it. Appreciate you sharing it, Lance. Um, if somebody wants to connect with you or connect with Verivest, what's a, what's a good avenue for that?
0: Yeah. You just go to verivest.com or, you know, email me, at Lance at verivest.com is, is sort of the path of least resistance, I guess. And uh, you can find my podcast at the report.com So um you know, talk with guys like Devin and we have conversations like this with people all the time. And
1: that's how you can catch up with me. Outstanding. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. And I appreciate you uh, jumping on today. Really appreciate it, Lance. I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Devin. I I appreciate it. All righty. We'll see you. See you. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. hope you found that educational, entertaining, inspiring, all of the above. If you are interested in seeing future DJE investment projects and you are not already on our list and in our portal, uh, you can go to the website djetexas.com. There's a little button there to schedule a 15-minute call with our team, answer any questions you have, and make sure you get on that list to see that next project that comes out. Also, if you're interested in being Uh, an investor that runs these deals, we've got a free seven module course for you at apartmenteducators.com. A lot of great free content there to ramp up your education in the multifamily investing space. Once again, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We always appreciate a five-star review that helps the reach of the show. That's one way you can give back if you enjoyed it and we'll see you on the next one. Take care.